This episode is sponsored by the New York Office of the Lifeline Humanitarian Organization, which is under the patronage of Her Royal Highness Crown Princess Catherine of Serbia. Lifeline New York was founded 27 years ago as an urgent response to the tragic situation in the former Yugoslavia, where many citizens were afflicted by conflict and worldwide economic sanctions. Today, Lifeline New York is dedicated to helping all of those in need in Serbia and to reduce and relieve the suffering of physically and mentally disabled children, orphans, and the elderly, as well as to improve medical facilities in the country. Visit lifelineny.org. On this episode, we have Dr. Bojana Jankovic Weatherly. Bojana was born in Serbia, a part of the former Yugoslavia. As war and civil unrest broke out from its dissolution, she migrated to Canada in her early teens. She studied medicine in Vancouver, and while pregnant during her residency at Cedars-Sinai in Los Angeles, she developed an interest in evidence-based integrative and functional medicine as a means to support her traditional medicine training. She has launched a practice in New York City that draws on all of these elements. Boyana, thank you so much for being on our show today. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, it's an honor and a pleasure. It's a, definitely an honor and pleasure for, for us on, on our side. Um, to kick it off, I wanted to start with um, where, where you're from originally. You were uh, born and raised in Belgrade, Serbia. That's correct. Belgrade, Serbia, former Yugoslavia. That's, exactly. that's where I was born. Yes. Yeah. At the time you were born, it was still a part of that. And uh, yeah. do you have siblings? I do not. No, I'm an only child. Got you. Um, I would love to hear the story um, of how you attended and participated in some Red Star Belgrade games. Ah, yes. Red Star Belgrade. So Red Star is a soccer team, as you know, and there are two rival soccer teams in Belgrade, Red Star and Partizan, or Partizan, we say, and Cervena Zvezda. Cervena Zvezda is Red Star. And uh, my father was a big fan and is a big fan of the Red Star. So he took me to one of the games and it was just one of the most uh, alive, uh, vibrant, energetic experiences of my childhood. And I remember when our team scored, my father just, and I must have been, five, six. I mean, I'm not really sure, but it was definitely preschool age. And, um, you know, my father just picked me up and, and was cheering and was like, yes, yes. And so was, you know, so were all the other fans. Uh, it was uh, pretty special. You know, I think you and I talked about before this interview, the things from our childhood and our past, these moments that stick with such detail and such um, real quality to them. And it's because it, they're emotionally charged, charged experiences. And, and that was definitely one of them. It's such an electric atmosphere and uh, you were just completely plugged in and in sync with uh, the sentiments of that crowd. Did you play tennis or another sport growing up? I was in this tennis school and probably was around nine years old or so. And one of the instructors was really, really strict. So if we didn't hit the ball correctly, we got a ball back. Like we, we had him like throwing a ball at us and yelling wow. at us and saying wow. like, this is not... So um, I love tennis now, but there was definitely that period of time where I thought, you know, is, is this 
is this safe you know it was the instructional method at the time i mean but a complete horror show in today's context absolutely i mean that would never (laughs) be allowed now um uh, your mother was in IT, or is in IT, and, and your Correct. dad, was he also in IT? Yes, so he's an electrical engineer. He's now retired. Well, um, you you migrated to, to Canada as um, the breakup of the former Yugoslavia led to uh, the war, and uh, you know, Sarajevo in Bosnia was kind of ground zero for that. Um, and uh, you left just prior to your 13th birthday, but uh, I'd love if you could share the story about um, this experience you had with a refugee student from, from Bosnia. As a, as a child, I was probably 10 years old when this all started, you, you take cues from your parents, you get a sense that, you know, the situation seems to be getting worse. I mean, I remember when I was 10 years old, just watching massacre, watching the, you know, dead bodies on, on television in wow places that were only a few hundred kilometers away from where I was living. In the context of my school, we were, a a lot of the students joining our school were refugees from places like Bosnia. I remember um, one of our teachers asking who would like to volunteer um, to help out one of the refugees with her Serbian and her math. So I was like, okay, me, I'm doing it. So my best friend and I, you know, volunteered to to help this, this lovely girl, girl, and um, and I remember her coming over to my house, and I had a cat at that time, and you know she really wanted to play with my cat, and she was out. Where's the cat? Can we play with your cat? And um, and again, having the good intention, but not the full depth of understanding and appreciation of the fact that she just lost her home. Who knows if her family members are safe? Who knows who, who might have died in her family? Is she wondering whether she'll ever go back? Is she frightened for her future? I was like, but, you know, but let's focus on this. Let's do the math. Let's do that. And it wasn't until many years later that I fully appreciated and, and beat myself up a little bit about, like, I wish I were, I, I wish I knew how to offer that compassion and that um, understanding and that being there for her. Well, as a, a child of that age, I don't think you could have been expected to do more. Uh, and I just, I love that story because um, karmically you're completely paying it back because now when you see every patient that you do, you look at the whole person. Mm-hmm. But more on that to come. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So your family makes a decision to uh, migrate. And um, is Canada the choice because you knew some people who had migrated there? Or were there other places you were looking at? Or how did it, how did you settle on Canada, you and your family? Yes, that's a great question. So a large part of the decision was because we knew people there. We, we actually had these neighbors in our building in Serbia, and they ended up moving to Vancouver. Okay. And, uh, and my father knew somebody in Toronto. We went to the embassy. We watched a video at the Canadian embassy about Vancouver, and we watched a video about Toronto. And Vancouver just at the time seemed to be a better fit for us. And that is literally how we picked up and left. Wow. Yeah. Um, what was it like going to high school in Vancouver? I mean, the only continuity you really had was playing tennis. Right, right. It was hard. 
it was really, really hard. And, and anybody listening who, uh, who had an experience as an immigrant will likely relate to this. I felt that, felt that my personality was uh, very tied with, very much tied with my language. Even once I quote unquote mastered English language and I felt that, okay, I've assimilated. I now have a Canadian accent. Maybe there's a slight hint of Serbian, but for the most part, I'm, I'm good. People are no longer asking me because that was my big goal at that age. Please don't ask me where I'm from. I really just want to assimilate and be like you guys. But then the other part of me realized, wow, this is so different. This person is so different from my Serbian self who grew up in a certain culture and, and who, you know, to this day, I communicate with my parents, to my family members, to my best friends from Serbia. We speak in Serbian. I mean, there's no, you know, and so, and it took many, many years for me to, to merge those two identities. I feel that I'm true to who I am, no matter which language I'm expressing myself in. And I would say, if I had to, 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 to kind of share the biggest challenge of that time, it's, it's, it's trying to figure out those two people and letting them both live and express themselves and be genuine. Um, but it was incredibly difficult. I mean, I would go back to Serbia every summer and spend time with my grandmothers, with my cousins, with my best friend, who to this day, I'm the godmother to her two daughters, and, and we're still extremely close. And then I would be like, oh, now back to this. And, and, and I loved, I mean, I love Canada. Yeah, yeah, it's a different life. Yeah. And a different um, sort of aspect of your persona. Absolutely, absolutely. Boyana, when did you first have the pull to become a healer, study medicine, become a doctor? When did you have that sense? Yeah, so it started really in my early teen years. Always loved sciences, so I knew I was going to do something in that realm. Right. And, um, but I also knew that I that I really wanted to uh, have with my with my work to have direct impact on people and that it had to involve personal interactions. And it's interesting, I, I really became fascinated uh, initially with, with human behavior, with psychology. And, and I think, again, that probably was a result of my own experience and having to adapt and just trying to better understand um, how people cope and why we do things we do. I started to volunteer in hospitals and senior mm -hmm. centers and, um, and really just started to learn shadowing doctors and really just started to learn more about what medicine is like. Mm -hmm. What is and it you like? Did that when you were in high school? Yes, when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. And I was just so excited about it. When you're doing something that's so aligned with what you believe in and what your purpose is here, um, it's just a calling. I mean, there's no other way around it. Mm -hmm. It just is. And I ended up doing the MD master's degree route, yeah, um, but remain interested in research. And, and, you know, and you and I have talked about this, staying on top of evidence-based medicine and constantly consuming of scientific research. And of course, now, especially at the time of COVID-19, that, that 
um, a lot of this research is very much rapidly evolving. I think we all sort of need to stay on top of it, of course. So you graduate from medical school. You also do an MSc. Mm-hmm. And then um, you make your way down to LA at that point? Halfway through medical school, I met my husband who was mm-hmm. living in Los Angeles at the time. And we decided to get married and so on. So um, I applied to residency programs in uh uh, in Los Angeles, and I was fortunate to get my first choice, which was Cedar Sinai. And um, it was an incredible experience. Throughout that experience, you know, you you learn a lot about yourself. Um, you learn a lot about what it is to be a physician. You learn about also things that you um, gravitate towards moving forward. And one of the things that became very clear to me, and we can sort of talk about my personal story that went alongside that. What I'd love for you to share is um, being pregnant while you're going through residency, because it feels like that was the moment where you felt the potency of functional medicine. Absolutely. Yeah, glad you were gonna guide us there. (laughs) Absolutely. So uh, in my, second year of medical residency, I became pregnant with my first. Then I found myself in in this situation where as a pregnant resident, I was running around and doing those codes and being on call for 30 plus hours. And um, the way that residency is structured, and I know they've changed things uh, since, uh, and so it may be different now, but at the time, uh, depending on what rotation you were on, meaning, you know, you might have been in the intensive care unit versus on the regular hospital floor versus in clinic, um, you likely are on for six days a week, and then you're on call every third night or every fourth night, meaning you're on for 30 hours straight, then you go home and you're back the next uh, day. And so, um, so, so with that, uh, being pregnant, you can imagine that that can be a little bit of a challenge. <laughs> and so I was, you know, keeping hydrated and keeping all these healthy snacks in my pockets um, and, and trying to do my best. But it really hit me one night when I woke up in the middle of the night, I couldn't sleep. I was really stressed out. And, um, and really what was... Um, clear to me is that I was feeling a great deal of um, guilt about both, um, you know, being pregnant in residency, but also am I, am I doing everything I can to ensure that I'm having a healthy pregnancy? And then of course, went on PubMed, which is a large scientific database and found out that yes, shift work and long hours and all these different factors are in fact uh, correlated with premature labor and various complications of pregnancy. And, um, and I really thought, you know, in this system of healthcare, we're, we kind of have to figure out for ourselves, how do we take care of ourselves because um, there are certain structures that are imposed uh, that that don't necessarily uh, make it so easy uh, to, in this instance, have a family while also, you know, following 
a, a, a track that's that's challenging. Um, and you know, in that moment, and I think we all have these moments where we make decisions, you know, um, such as, am I a victim of the situation, or do I figure this out, or do I, or do I, um, uh, uh, do I uh, relate to this as as an opportunity for growth, for a new discovery? Um, and so, what I did is I decided, you know, I've got to, I've, I've got to really take this situation into my own hands and take responsibility for this situation for my, for my daughter. Um, but also continue to be the best resident that I can be continue that. Cause like, there's no giving up either way. Um, and so that's when I started working with a birth doula, uh, who is essentially a mother's helper, uh, during the pregnancy and, and sometimes after labor. And um, I started working with a chiropractor, um, which because my baby, and in fact, both of them were measuring very large. Um, my second one too, who I had just after residency was over 10 pounds and, oh. and my first one was over nine pounds. So my OBGYN, you know, put in my head that, you know, just so you know, there might be, we might have to intervene. This may be, you know, and so, um, and so, of course, immediately I went and I did the research and I thought, you know what, let's, until it becomes a medical emergency, let's, let's let things take their course and I'm going to find more supportive mechanisms to support my body during this process rather than, quote unquote, intervene right. uh, prematurely, perhaps. And so that's why I started working with a chiropractor um, to essentially prepare my body for labor. Um, started working with an acupuncturist, um, and uh, and and really started and then doing prenatal yoga, which is kind of my first. I had done yoga before, but this was my first sort of consistent practice of yoga where I felt, I think, spiritually connected as well, and and very much connected to my baby. It really was an, an incredible experience. Um, I think yoga will never be the same for me because I got to do it while pregnant yeah. and it was really so, so special. Yeah. Um, and so all of these experiences over time led to a subtle shift that I might've not really even been aware of right away, but a subtle shift in this, um, in, in how I viewed myself as a patient, as a doctor, as how I viewed my role as a doctor, mm. in a supportive role, and 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 um, and in, in an empowering role as well, I felt very much empowered and and almost, um, you know, you know, really had a partnership with these um, individuals that were providing this supportive care. Well, um, in some ways, with this new paradigm, you were patient number one. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I was my own patient number one. Exactly. And, and I think that um, it really was the first critical point of how I saw the possibility of medicine and the possibility of practicing into what I, you know, what I assume to be integrative medicine and what, and, you know, we've talked a little bit about the definitions in our prior conversations of integrative medicine really not rejecting conventional or rejecting any particular modality, um, but also not accepting um, uh, modalities as a given, 
unless enough research and evidence is there to support those modalities. And so integrative as a whole is conventional. It is, um, it does encompass nutrition and mindfulness. It does encompass acupuncture in certain instances where acupuncture has been shown to be beneficial. It may support certain functional medicine modalities where those modalities are able to get at the root cause um, and help us better understand why somebody's having symptoms. So that was really, I would say, the birth of that concept without me even really naming it, yeah. but just understanding that, hey, we can do all of these things together. Yeah, yeah. no, I love it. And your website encapsulates it so well. It says you want to give your patients the best of both worlds. Yes. That's great. Absolutely. And another important theme is um, you talk about tapping into the body's natural ability to heal. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I felt that theme when you were describing, you know, you were being told by your OBGYN to do an intervention and you said, no, let me see if I can go through these modalities and, and get my body to a place where it can do this. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, this is something that, um, would be really important to, to pay attention to more and, um, and examine from the research perspective as well. What else is possible? What else can we do as a supportive modality from the nutritional perspective, um, from uh, the mind-body perspective, um, from acupuncture, from supplements when indicated, and that with an integrated team, and this is really my um, uh, uh, mission, and, and what I aim to achieve in my practice um, to really assemble that integrative team to communicate with my patient specialists and, and other practitioners so that concurrently we could all be um, providing this comprehensive plan with the same goal, but just approaching different uh, targets. Yeah. No, and and great. and different pathways yeah no that's great um how soon after you completed your residency did you attend the andy weil program at the university of arizona so i started the program about three years after i completed residency training ah, okay all right and um so i started as a primary care physician in Los Angeles. Uh, with the Cedar sinai medical group right, in los right. angeles but as a primary care physician i really I knew that um, that by practicing primary care, you know, I'm the quarterback for the patient. I'm coordinating care. They come to me for preventative care um, with any acute issues or chronic disease management. And so, I knew that that as as their primary care provider, I have this ability to support them from these different modalities. And I was first introduced to some of the concepts in Ayurveda and concepts of, of looking at systems and looking at, at our physical system as our mind-body in, in a way of, of looking at imbalances and balances. Mm. And I just started using some of these simple, simple tools such as meditation and breathing techniques. And my interaction with my patients started to change the way that people saw me and the questions that they were coming to me with started to change. Mm. And I started to notice some benefits where I was like, okay, I'm onto something. 
this is working. This makes sense. I need to supplement my training and my knowledge with, with some of these other modalities and need to, to look at what they are. So that's when I embarked on the fellowship program um, at the University of Arizona. Um, you talked earlier about um, chronic health issues that um, you spent some time on. And I'm wondering, is that, was that the impulse to launch WellStart Health? That's a great question. So I actually met uh, these two women who, uh, who were co-founders of WellStart Health at the time. And they approached me with a pilot program that they had just done on a small group of patients um, that was centered around prevention and reversal of chronic disease, such as diabetes, obesity, um, high blood pressure. And their results were really impressive to me because they were able to, through coaching, um, through lifestyle interventions, through uh, change in nutrition and lifestyle habits, they were able to help people. And now I, I advise them because I'm full, fully occupied with my practice. You left Los Angeles and you worked with Dr. Lipman and uh, uh, with 11.11 in New York. Yes. But now you've got your own practice, which yes. is really the fusion of all of these principles you've talked about, these kind of oh. learnings on both sides of the fence, so to speak. And you're bringing that as a combined unit and force to your patients. Yes, yes, absolutely. We don't get enough time with our patients. Mm -hmm. And we don't get to really explore some of the problems and, and the sources of problems with our patients in that partnership and really provide education, dig deeper into, into the whys. It's so well uh, captured on your website. Uh, I'm just so impressed with this because I, I, I never hear this from physicians that uh, I seek treatment from. You, have, um, uh, you want to get to know each individual and her or his personal and medical story. Yes. That is a phenomenal and beautiful mission. What's, who's an ideal patient for you? That's a great question. So the ideal patient for me is um, uh, somebody who really understands and uh, or is curious about understanding more about how their their habits and their health today is going to influence their health 10, 20 years from now and, and understands the importance of uh, investing in ourselves. We also have to look at the blue zones. We also have to look at the individuals that get to be healthy into the old age and understand what can we um, borrow and, and extract from, from, from these individuals, from these communities and apply them to our own lives. Empower my patients with the best tools whether or not they have symptoms today. A lot of people that see me certainly do have symptoms. Um, many of them have thyroid problems. Many of them have irritable bowel problems. Many of them suffer with anxiety or chronic problems due to stress. Um, uh, many individuals uh, are seeking um, help to, to, to sort of reduce the inflammation in their body that can manifest in different ways. We can embrace multiple modalities at the same time. Mm -hmm. when, we, when we write and when we're prompted 
to recall certain things and to synthesize a story about our life and our health, uh, some things come to surface that, that haven't before. It's, it's coming to that deep sense of peace and acceptance of where we are so that we can then rationally move on to the next steps. Yeah. And again, expand our awareness to what is possible and to how we got here in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have to say, Boyana, it's really refreshing to hear you talk in this way because that detective work takes time. Yes. And I think the impulse in the past has been, what's the bare minimum of facts for me to write a script and get another patient in this examining room? And so it's, um, I, I love the approach you're taking. I think you're going to be wildly successful. I think people are craving this kind of treatment and, and healthcare and, uh, and participation in, in health management because we're all eager to thrive. Absolutely. I agree with you. I know that during this COVID-19 time period, you've been very active giving guidance and um, providing um, uh, tips and, and help. Maybe you could share with us a little bit about what you've been involved with there. Sure, definitely. You know, one of the things I really enjoy is talking to my colleagues about their areas of expertise, um, their take on things, uh, research articles that they've read, uh, complex cases that that they've you know solved or dealt with during COVID nineteen. You know, one of the things that that I see people are very hungry for is reliable information. How can we set ourselves up to be the best version of ourselves during this time and still uh, engage in some health promoting habits, even though it may be hard to do so? And then some of the articles that I've been writing have really just been in response to. Uh, individuals asking about those particular topics. Well, I also like how your approach has been not just to focus on the virus, but what can we do to enhance our health and put ourselves in a better position should we come into contact or exposure with it? Definitely, definitely. And, but one thing that we know from observing other pathogens and other viruses, our baseline health and it is, is a predictor for how we do with, with a particular um, disease or a particular insult. And it goes beyond hand washing, social distancing, and mask wearing. That's important, but there are other things internally that we can continue to be doing. Um, and, and really just the basics would be sleep getting more than seven or eight hours of sleep mm. per night, um, nutritious, plant-rich diet, um, having a, a stress reduction um, modality that one uses every day. It could be a walking meditation or a sitting meditation. It could be having you know, a dance party every day to release some stress and energy. So um, Boyana, you manage a family with two children. You have your practice. You also make media appearances. I, I know you've been on the Today Show and, and you're writing these articles. How do you juggle all of this? This idea of balance doesn't necessarily mean that everything is going to be in perfect balance at the same time. Um, but it's it's definitely challenging. Well, Bayana, this is such a great conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for being so open and honest and, um, you know, 
being uh, you know sharing these personal stories, personal anecdotes, I think will go a long way in, in resonating with people. So I really am grateful to you. Thank you, and thank you so much for for such a wonderful uh, uh, interview. And it just it, it felt like a, a lovely conversation. So thank you for that. Perfect. Achieve is recorded at Subtractive in Hangar 8 at the Santa Monica Airport. Music is produced by Hennedy.